the fear of the Lord, part three. And um, now we know that Proverbs, Proverbs are brief poetic sayings meant to make us wise or to impart wisdom. So Proverbs is filled with like these pithy little statements. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. They're just little statements that are easy to remember that are meant to impart wisdom. Like, spare the rod, spoil the child, right? You know, we remember that. It's a proverb. You can remember it. Or the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Knowledge. In chapter 9, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So Proverbs is written to give us wisdom, to impart wisdom to us. But it all starts, the starting place is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and of wisdom. So if Proverbs is going to be any good to us, it starts with fearing God. So we looked the first week, part one, or part one of the series, on, or, or the three messages on the fear of the Lord. We talked about there's a biblical fear and an unbiblical fear. A biblical fear is to fear God. An unbiblical fear is to fear man, to be, have anxiety weigh us down, because Scripture says, I think it's close to 350 times, fear not. So there's a, a healthy fear, there's an unhealthy fear. Then last week, we looked at uh, what the fear of the Lord is. The fear of the Lord is dread and terror. Dread and terror. We saw that the fear of the Lord is respect and honor. The fear of the Lord is reverence and awe, worship. But the dread and terror. Some people have a hard time with that. They're like, really? Like as Christians, should we, like, should we be in dread and terror of the Lord? Well, in a sense, if you think about it, that even as Christians, we will stand before God and give an account for what we've done with our lives. The sin that we've done, past, present, and future, was dealt with at the cross. Done. If we have our faith in Christ, our sin is dealt with. But how, like it says, we will give an account for every careless word spoken. <laughs> I've said some careless things. I'm going to give an account for that. It says I'm going to give an account for the gifts and the talents and the opportunities that God has given me. But do you know that the fear, the terror, and the dread of the Lord and his judgment and of hell is a thing that God uses in many people's lives to turn them from their sin to Christ. I was listening to an interview this week uh, between Greg Laurie and Alice Cooper. You guys know who Alice Cooper is? He's like the godfather of, rock, uh, of shock rock. Like, I mean, just like concerts, like bizarre stuff, wicked stuff. Really bizarre. But he was the son of a preacher. I mean, how would you like to get up and preach and like Alice Cooper's your kid? He knew the truth. And his interview with Greg Laurie, it's reported that in the recent years, Alice Cooper has turned his life back to the Lord. And he said to Greg Laurie, the thing that turned him around is he knew that if he didn't turn around, he was destined to an eternity in hell. And he believed it and he knew it. Dread and terror, the fear of the Lord and dread and terror turned his life around. And then he learned about the love of God. And so when we understand, like, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a, of a holy God, that we will all stand before the Lord. But then when we understand what he's done for us, it moves us to respect and honor and reverence and awe, to worship, to ascribe worth to him, all of those things. The fear of the Lord. If we're going to be wise, it all starts there. It all starts with the fear of God. A scripture I read yesterday in Psalms. 
Psalms 25. Starting verse 12 through 14. Psalm 25, 12 through 14. Who is the man who fears the Lord? It's asking the question. Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being. And his offspring shall inherit the land. Listen to this. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And to them he makes his, known to them his covenant. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. Those who fear God are his friend. They're his friend. They're, they're his children. Acts 9.31. Talking about the New Testament church. It says, that, so the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they had peace and they multiplied. So walking, like the fearing God takes deliberate action. It's a walk. It's walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And what happened? They had peace and they were multiplied. One of the things that I've, we've been talking about a Redeemer from the beginning, we must be a unified body, praying for unity, asking the Lord to unify us. We will not be unified if we don't fear God. If we fear God, we take care of relationships. We take care of the own sin in our own lives. That's why we take communion every week. And going to be honest, I've heard of people who have attended for a season but have chose because they don't want to deal with communion every week. I mean, if that's the choice they have to make, I would rather they repent. Does that make sense? But that's why we take it. Because we fear God and it keeps us in right relationship. It should keep us in right relationship with one another and certainly with our God. Vertical first and then horizontally. The fear of the Lord. They had peace and they multiplied. So what does the fear of the Lord lead to? Point number one, it leads to knowledge and wisdom. Or wisdom and knowledge. Chapter 9, verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Chapter 1, verse 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Knowledge and wisdom here are the same thing. They're one and the same. If you fear God, it leads to wisdom. It leads to knowledge. Now, they're not independent things. But the truth is that all truth belongs to who? All truth is God's truth. All true wisdom and knowledge is from the Lord. Now, what it's talking about here, the fear of the Lord leads to wisdom and knowledge. It, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're highly educated. There are highly educated people who are wise and knowledgeable. But there are highly educated people who are really smart, but they don't fear God. And if they don't fear God and they reject the authority of his word, they're not wise. And they're not knowledgeable. You're like, well, they know a lot of stuff. Yes, but not wisdom and knowledge from God, from the Lord, supernatural. Like, that, Have you ever been around a person, like, you're just a very mature Christian, you know they know the Lord really well, and there's just a wisdom that comes out of them. Why? It's God's wisdom, because they fear God, and there's a wisdom and a knowledge. If a person wants to be wise and knowledgeable, it starts with fearing God, with the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is the beginning, it all starts there. So Proverbs Brief poetic statements, 
meant to impart wisdom, we poetic statements meant to impart wisdom to make us wise. But the beginning of it all is the fear of the Lord. So Proverbs is only useful to us. The wisdom of God is only useful and accessible and attainable to us if we fear God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge, Proverbs 2, verse 1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom, like you're listening for it, you're listening. My son, if you, if you, if you listen to wisdom and incline your heart to understanding, like you want to have wisdom, you want to have understanding. If you seek it like silver, in other words, if you seek wisdom and knowledge from God in the same way that you pursue financial gain, in the same way that you pursue material things, if you seek it like you seek silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you understand the fear, what, then you understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. It has to be sought. It has to be pursued. We have to go after it. But it says in Proverbs 1, verse 7, that fools despise wisdom and knowledge. Fools, foolish people. Even some very educated people, they despise wisdom and knowledge. They despise God's word. They despise God's moral law. You're like, well, they're really educated. Yeah, but they're fool. See, that's what God's word says. Well, culture doesn't, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what culture says. It matters what the Lord says. Knowledge and wisdom can never be separated from the fear of the Lord. This is something that only the Holy Spirit can teach us. Psalm 34, 11, it says, Oh, come, children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. It needs taught. It needs shepherded into people's hearts. Come, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord leads to knowledge. Number two, the fear of the Lord leads to a hatred of evil. The fear of the Lord leads to a hatred of evil. Proverbs 8, verse 13, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Okay, yeah. The fear of the Lord is. If you fear God, you hate evil. You hate it. You see it, you hate it. The fear of the Lord is a hatred of evil. Proverbs 3, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is to turn away from evil, to turn away from it, to turn from it. If you fear God, you will have a hatred of evil. Now, here's the problem. It is so easy for us to look at society and culture and hate the evil that we see. It is so easy to look at the, those politicians or whoever who, who don't believe in the sanctity of human life, who don't believe in the sanctity of marriage, who don't believe in the sanctity of sex, and people who are pushing a leftist agenda, and we look at them with disdain. We should hate what they're doing, but not them. See? But the thing is, it happens, it is so easy for us to see the sin in everyone else's life. But the fear of the Lord is a hatred of evil in my own heart. See, if we would just examine our own hearts this morning, we would see just below the surface. We know what we're capable of. We know what we think, right? It's a... It's a hatred of evil, my own sin. It's so easy to look at someone else. Someone who maybe has been divorced and you haven't. 
or someone who's, I don't know, lived a sexually, uh, maybe not as moral a life or a season of life, and you look at them, and you, and you measure yourself against that, but that's not what we're supposed to do. We're to measure it against Christ. And when we do that, we don't understand the gospel because that person, if they're in Christ, is completely forgiven. Completely. Not held against them anymore. Removed as far as the east is from the west. The hatred of evil. My own sin. In my own life. In Luke 18, verse 9 through 14, Jesus told a parable. He, he, he told it to those who thought of themselves as righteous. Most of you know this parable. He said, there was two men who went down to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and one a tax collector. Now, a Pharisee was a very religious person. They thought of themselves as righteous in and of them because of what they did or didn't do. Tax collectors were not liked by society. Two men went down to the temple to pray. The Pharisee begins to pray. He says, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other people. He literally says, God, I thank you that I'm not like the tax collector. Some of you are like, God, I thank you that I'm not like this other person. God, I thank you that I never did this. But then the tax collector wouldn't even look up to heaven, but just beat his chest and said, oh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, one man left the temple condemned and one justified. The self-righteous Pharisee who didn't hate his own sin, who was so thankful he wasn't like other people, left condemned. And the man who just hung his head and beat his chest was justified, forgiven redeemed. In that story, it was better to be the tax collector than the Pharisee. Because the Pharisee does it. They trust in their own righteousness. They trust in their own their self-righteousness that works, their own theology, like theological righteousness. They trust in that instead of the finished work of Jesus Christ. They don't understand who they really are. When Jesus said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, it's those who know that before a holy God, they're bankrupt. They have nothing to offer. Fear of the Lord is a hatred of evil. In Deuteronomy 6, verse 2, it says, that you may fear the Lord your God and your son and your son's sons by keeping all his statutes and his commandments. Fearing God is a hatred of evil, and it's a desire for obedience. And you know the story in Genesis of Joseph, sold into slavery by his brothers. He goes down to Egypt and Potiphar buys him as a slave and he's in Potiphar's house and he became Potiphar's most trusted servant in charge of everything in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar didn't keep anything from him except his wife. But his wife tried to seduce Potiphar multiple times or tried to seduce Joseph multiple times. And Joseph rejected, resisted. Why? Because he feared God. He feared God in the end. His fear of God cost him imprisonment because eventually she tries to basically just pull him in and seduce him and he like ran. And so she accuses him of rape falsely, gets him thrown into prison. But because he feared God, God again redeemed his situation. 
fear of the Lord is a hatred of evil. In 1 Samuel 12, Samuel is giving direction to Saul. Soon, uh, like not long before Samuel was to depart this earth. And he says, if you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commands of the Lord and follow the Lord your God, it will go well. When people obey the Lord, serve him, respect and honor him, when they hate evil, the evil of their own heart, their own sin, it goes well for them. The fear of the Lord leads to hatred of evil. Number three, the fear of the Lord leads to prolonged life. It leads to prolonged life. If you fear God, it leads to prolonged life. The fear of the Lord prolongs life. Proverbs 10, 27. But the years of the wicked will be short. The fear of the Lord prolongs life. Now, it's not promising that you'll live to be 100. It's not promising that you'll eat 85. It just says the fear of the Lord typically most often prolongs life. If you fear God and you honor him, like, like if you're addicted to all kinds of substances, if you live in a way sexually that dishonors the Lord, it can and often does affect your health. If we eat or deal with food in a way that doesn't honor the Lord, it will impact the length of your years, right? All of those things, they're true. The fear of the Lord prolongs life. In Deuteronomy 6, it says, Honor, children, honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land. So typically, children, in Ephesians 6, it says, Children, obey your parents, honor them, is the first commandment with promise that you may live long. Because we all know when a kid doesn't honor and disobeys, you just want to kill him. Just want to kill him. Don't leave me up here, right? I mean, it's just like. <laughs> but here's the reality. If children who don't obey and honor the laws of the land, their parents, it usually doesn't go as well for them. And often, because of willful rebellion, it can, in fact, cut their years short, right? I mean, it can, like, that's what he's saying. The fear of the Lord prolongs life. Again, it doesn't say you'll get old. It doesn't promise that. So generally speaking, the fear of the Lord prolongs life. Those who fear God typically, generally, live a longer, healthier, happier life. That's what he's saying. Like, that's what it is. If you fear God. Whoever fears God and respects him and honors him and reverences him typically will live a longer and a healthier life. Proverbs 3. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of years or for length of days and years of your life. And peace they will add to you. Do you know that if you fear God, And keep his commandments. It can add length of days and years to your life and it will bring greater peace. Right? It does. It's, it's what it says. The fear of the Lord prolongs life. In verse 16 of the same chapter, long life is in her right hand. Whose? Wisdom's. It's comparing wisdom and folly. And long life is in the right hand of, the wise, of wisdom. It prolongs life. 
But Proverbs 13 says the, the lamp of the wicked will be cut short. It just means that often wicked people who reject God and don't fear the Lord, sometimes their lives are cut short. The fear of the Lord prolongs life. Number four, the fear of the Lord leads to confidence. The fear of the Lord will lead to a confidence in your life. Proverbs 14, Proverbs 14, verse 26 The fear of the Lord, in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. Those who fear God are confident. They're confident. Sometimes it's wrongly interpreted as arrogance. Now, sometimes confident people can also be a bit arrogant. But here it says, the fear of the Lord, in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. Why? Because I, I know my relationship with the Lord is, is, is right. It's in the right place. I fear God, and so it gives me a confidence. Because I fear God, the Holy Spirit is empowering me. I'm not grieving the Spirit of God. I'm not resisting the Spirit of God. I'm not offending the Spirit of God. So he's empowering me, and I have a strong confidence. The fear of the Lord, in the fear of the Lord, one has a strong confidence. And look at this, and his children have a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life brings life. But look, I love what it says in verse 26, and his children will have a refuge. For parents who fear God, their children have a refuge, a much greater refuge. Because if parents fear God, if a mother and a father, a husband and a wife fear God, there will be respect, there will be submission, there will be laying our lives down as Christ laid his life down for the church. And there will be harmony between husband and wife, mother and father, and that is the greatest refuge you could bring for your children. Not coming home from school, not coming home wondering what's attention going to be like in the house tonight. Wondering when is mom or dad going to pick up and leave. Gives them a strong... If you fear God... The greatest thing you can do for your children is take care of your marriage. But some of you, things didn't work out that way for you. You find yourself in a difficult place. Maybe you're divorced. Maybe you're married to an unbeliever. If you fear God, listen to me, you will never use your children as a means to get back at an ex. You will never Speak in a way with the intent to do harm to the reputation of your ex if you fear God. Now, you're like, well, they need to know the truth. Be very careful. Get wisdom from wise counsel. Because if parents fear God, there will be a refuge for their children. Be a refuge. If you don't fear God, you're not a refuge for your children. You're not. The fear of the Lord brings a strong confidence. Why? Because those who fear God are friends of God. They're under the protection and the care of God. They're, the, they're under the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit. And if you fear God, you and your children can have a strong confidence. Those who fear the Lord have confidence. Number five, the fear of the Lord leads to righteous living. The fear of the Lord leads to righteous living. Proverbs 16, verse 6. The fear of the Lord, in the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. 
If you fear God, you turn away from evil. That means as you're walking life, as you're going down the road of life, when you see something evil, you turn from it. You don't flirt with it. And what that is for you and what that is for me is different. All right? It, it could be very, very different. But it is a turning from evil. And the enemy knows how to tempt you. He knows the bait that he should hang in front of you. But if you fear God, when you see that, you will turn from it. The fear of the Lord leads to righteous living. Proverbs 19, 23. The fear of the Lord leads to life. And whoever has it rests satisfied. Jesus said, if you love me, you will what? If you love me, you will obey me. If you love me, you will obey me. Matthew 15. You know, one of the things, this turning from right to righteous living, God's word tells us what it means to live righteously. Now, one of the things that I've been talking to you about for the past weeks and months there's something we need to understand the difference between orthodoxy, doctrine, and convictions. Okay, orthodoxy are things you must believe to be a Christian. All Christians must believe these things. You must believe in the sufficiency and the inerrancy of Scripture. You must believe in the virgin birth. You must believe in the deity of Christ. You must believe that there is only one way to the Father through Jesus Christ. You must believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life for all mankind. That's a sampling of orthodoxy. To be a Christian, you must believe those things. That Jesus died, was buried, and rose bodily, victoriously from the grave. Orthodoxy, you have to, and we die for orthodoxy. But then there's doctrines that we can have different beliefs in, and we defend those. How we believe the Holy Spirit works. Um, maybe how we believe the doctrines of grace, you know, limited, unlimited atonement, those types of things. Maybe uh, the roles of men and women in the church is doctrine. We defend our position, but we don't die if it's not orthodoxy for them. But then there's this third thing called conviction that as believers we all have. And if you don't learn to decipher the difference, well, what is an example of conviction? One I use often is modesty. The Bible says to be modest. But it doesn't define what it is. Wouldn't that be nice? But just say, this is what it is. Now, I believe that every family needs to determine what it is for their family. But I have no right to impose what I believe on you or you on me. Make sense? It's conviction. Now, there are things that culturally are just unacceptable. And when people cross those lines, I mean, you have to deal with that, right? Like, I mean, it's just not... But if we don't understand the difference between those... We begin to teach his commandments of man, and we think that they're not as righteous as we are just because they're not holding to my conviction. Does that make sense? And so the fear of the Lord leads to righteous living. It doesn't lead us to like, teach his commandments of man, or Jesus said in Matthew 15, verse 8 and 9, the people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they do worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of man. So what is he saying? He said, there are those in the church who teach as doctrine your own personal convictions, your commandments of man, and it's harmful. And that's not what Proverbs is talking about, but the fear of the Lord leads to righteous living, leads to righteous living, it leads to reverence and all, it leads to honor and respect. Number six, the fear of the Lord leads to eternal life. If you fear God, you'll agree with God about your sin, you'll agree with God about the gospel, 
and it will lead to eternal life. Proverbs 19.23 says, The fear of the Lord leads to life. If you fear God, it leads to eternal life. If you fear God, you will agree with him about your sin. You will agree with him about who he is. You will agree with his word. The true fear of the Lord leads to eternal life. Why? Because we saw last week, if you fear God, it will produce a dread and terror. You fear the reality of a literal hell. And that's a good thing to fear because it's real. It's a real reality. And if you fear God and dread and terror, it will lead to respect and honor, obedience, and then it leads to a reverence and an all living a life of worship, laying our lives down as a living sacrifice to a holy God. Fear of the Lord leads to eternal life. I fear him and I agree with him. God, I agree that I'm a sinner. God, I agree with you that my sin is an affront to you. My sin should separate me for eternity from you. But I also believe that you are rich in mercy. Because of your great love for me, Father, even while I was dead in my sin and trespasses, you sent Jesus to die for me, and I'm trusting in that, and that alone. Not in my righteousness, not in my holiness, but in yours that is given to me. See, it says in Corinthians that he, Jesus, became sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of Christ. It's called the great exchange, or double imputation. He at the moment of salvation, my sin goes to Christ at the cross. And at the moment of salvation, his righteousness is given to me. So now that when I stand before a holy God, and if you're a Christian, you stand before a holy God, you're not standing in your righteousness. You're standing in his. Because you feared him, and you agreed with him, and you accepted what he wanted to give to you freely. Salvation, forgiveness of sin. It's actually incredible. See, the fear of the Lord leads to eternal life. See, the gospel is good news. But if there's good news, there's usually bad news. And the bad news is that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. The bad news is because we've sinned, since the wages of sin is death, Eternity in hell and the conscience, eternal torment in the presence of the wrath of, of the unchecked wrath of God is what is due every one of us. But the good news is, is the gospel. Jesus came and he lived the life that you were intended but failed. And he died for you, suffered your death absorbed the wrath of God on your behalf, became your propitiation, took on the wrath of God for you, went to the cross. He died for you. He was buried for you. And three days later, he rose victorious over Satan, sin, hell, and death. That if you believe, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It's the good news. It's so simple. If you fear God, and you agree with him, and you return, and you repent, it leads to eternal life. So as we close this morning, 
just ask everyone to just bow their heads and close their eyes. And would you just, would you just in humility this morning, just ask the Lord? You know, his word says, if you need wisdom, ask for it. But it starts with the fear of the Lord. And so would you just ask him this morning where you need to grow in the fear of the Lord? How you need to grow in the fear of the Lord? And if you're here this morning and you don't, you as of yet to know Christ in a personal way, if you have never given your life to the Lord, if you have never confessed your sins before a holy God, if you have never asked him to forgive you, to save you, to redeem you, to change you, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. We are not saved by a words of a prayer, by walking an aisle, by raising our hand. It's by turning our hearts to the Lord and agreeing with him. God, I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the only way, Jesus, for salvation. And asking him to forgive you and to save you. It's that easy. So if you've never done that this morning, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. I'm not going to call you forward, but just right where you are. If you would just slip up your hand right where you are, I just want to pray with you right where you are. If you're here this morning and have never given your life to the Lord, just leave your hand up for a moment. Anybody else? every head bowed and every eye closed, you can put your hand down. I just want you to look up at me if you raise your hand. Just look up at me. You're saying this morning that you believe that you're a sinner. And you're saying that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And you're saying this morning that you want Him to save you and to forgive you and to redeem you. And you want to be a child of God. Forgiven. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Welcome. God bless you. God bless you. Or just for another moment, if the Lord is tugging at your heart and you want to make that commitment today, there's still time. Just slip up your hand right where you are. Father, your word says that when one turns to saving faith, all of heaven rejoices. And we rejoice today with heaven. Father, may your kingdom come and your will be done. In this young man's life, May he walk in the fear of the Lord. Father, help us as a church, as individuals, to grow in our fear for you. God, we need wisdom. So we're asking. But God, we know it starts with the fear of the Lord. God, help us to grow. Help us to, if, if it starts for some with dread and terror, may it start there. For others, respect and honor. For others, reverence and awe. We worship you and we ascribe you the glory that is due your name. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, have a great week, church. Remember, we have a mission. 
And above all, put on love. See you next week.